0: This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. Because, I don't say because doing good work takes time this season, but apparently I do. I'm Chris Krejcio, and today, we're at a brewery! I'm Stephen Caradini, and I'm drinking Gold Rush
1: Beer from Pikes Peak Brewing Co. in Monument, Colorado, where I'm visiting... My good friend Chris Krechow. So we're sitting
0: here live. Also, you put a, a microphone in front of him like this instead of in front of a computer. And Steven goes into reporter voice mode. So if he sounds it's a little true. different, I'm going to try why. to avoid
1: reporter voice mode. But if I suddenly drop into like, and you know, if you're going to be going this direction, you can check us out. <laughs> at, but I will try to just stick with my podcasting voice. It's funny that there's a podcasting voice and a reporter voice, and they're not neither the of same. Them are my actual
0: voice. Whereas my podcasting voice and my actual voice are rather hilariously the same.
1: Yeah. No, I'm... I just... It's a, it's a media <laughs> thing, guys. It's a media thing.
0: <laughs> so you are indeed hearing the background sounds of a brewery, and we're doing this... One, because beer is a good gift of God that is to be enjoyed responsibly and wisely and not in overmuch quantities, but we like beer, but also because this is actually, as it turns out, a perfect opportunity to talk about... Beer! (laughs) Yes, actually, beer. (laughs) Specifically, we're going to talk about beer and regulation and technology and how these things come together in a way where this ends up being a rather perfect illustration of something we've said before. But we get to put a little bit finer a point on it, which is that sometimes regulation is good and helpful, and sometimes making things less efficient ends up being really good for humans and the things that humans make. And so you may
1: be thinking, but wait, this is a season about rejecting technology. What technology are you rejecting this week? Monopolies. Monopolies. We're rejecting (laughs) all forms of monopoly, including the board game.
0: We're just We already established it. in a previous episode, in fact in the start of a previous season that Monopoly is the worst.
1: Never okay. That's actually a title of an episode. But we're now gonna expand our view <laughs> to include, things, to that include aren't the board game. things that aren't the board game. But the the background on this is, of course, for those of you who don't drink beer, that much of the beer culture of the United States was altered significantly by prohibition mm-hmm. and then altered significantly again by the, series, of by the end of prohibition but also by a series of rules that happened throughout the 20th century some of these were restrictive and some of these were uh, fairly uh, progressive but they sort of take different forms in that the progressive ones uh, allowed you to do things um in certain inefficient ways, um, and the restrictive ones, well. I,
0: it, I, it's complicated. It's complicated. The, the short summary is that one of the interesting effects that regulation can have under certain conditions in certain ways is to privilege the players already in the space. If you want some interesting reading on this, we'll link to some of the best writing Ben Thompson has been doing its stratechery of late noting the ways that things like GDPR which we've at times spoken approvingly of for, can end for consumers for consumers can actually end up leading to further consolidation of markets because the biggest players have the biggest ability to keep up with the regulations well it turns out the same if you're a newspaper in the United States well, get with the program yeah that there's that but if you're facebook Or Google, you have all the money, and you don't want to do it, but you can afford to do it a lot better than some scrappy wannabe startup. That's potentially true if they want to do it. Right. So much the same has been true in the beer industry. And for much of the 20th century, therefore, it was dominated by a few large companies. And as was the case in many other industries, in the late 20th and early 21st century, there was a great deal of consolidation among these, such that really you had... Two large players, maybe five all told if you include some of the smaller large players. But basically, but basically it, was it was Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch
1: and and Bush InBev because yeah. they ate another one right. along the way.
0: And then Miller Coors. Right. And these owned everything <laughs> until about everything. 2010. And then well, all of a sudden. There
1: were some little history yeah, bits in yeah, the you 80s. You Sam have Sam Adams, Adams appeared, coming up. And Sierra Nevada appeared. And then you had some other little booms. But basically 2008. Yeah. And why
0: 2008? Because the economy because crashed the everybody. economy. And there's an interesting little bit of history here where a lot of people had to go do different jobs because their regular jobs went away. And this is part of where the third wave coffee movement went from a really niche thing to a huge boom because a bunch of people went and became baristas and figured out that coffee can be awesome. The same basic Indeed. trend... Happened in beer around the same time for a lot of the same reasons, but also because of some interesting things around regulation. So, the
1: elements of regulation that I was confusedly trying to relate to you have it's to do. It's the beer talking.
0: It's the beer talking. he hasn't had that I've much beer. I've had like He's had five like five six sips beer. of beer. Uh,
1: the American system of regulation of beer has a tripartite system. That has the producers and the middlemen, the wholesalers, and the end product, the retailers. And the reason this was set up, we'll link an article that explains this in greater detail. Mm -hmm. This was intentionally set up to break up a different type of monopoly where individual beer houses had the ability to uh, entice people to drink more of the beer that they were brewing in the back room by doing...
0: Shady things. things. Yeah.
1: Prostitution, what? Gambling. Taco Tuesdays.
0: <laughs> Taco Tuesdays? <laughs>
1: Probably not illegal. But uh, so, as a result of this, uh, this bad thing that they wanted to avoid, they decided okay, let's make it hard for anybody to be totally in charge of one aspect or all of the aspects of the brewing process mm-hmm. the, the brewing, the wholesaling and the retailing and so as a result they there was a governmental system that turned this into a tripartite system. As a result this process while it has been circumvented in some ways and it was by Anheuser-Busch InBev not necessarily illegally but just by sheer brute scale. force of scale yep. in the late 2000 aughts, the aughts, <laughs> I'm still getting used this, to that. It's a terrible name it's for weird, a decade. But. but in the late aughts, as uh, people started getting interested in beer again, as people's tastes changed from water-ish things to <laughs> beer.
0: <laughs> I see um, what you did there, Stephen.
1: <laughs> they started to, uh, to have a, a bigger supply and demand
0: uh, loop. So, I do have to stop you there and say, are you implying that Bud Light is not the epitome of interesting beer? I mean, I can tell you that Coors Light is brewed cold. <laughs> I'm not sure that means anything especially important to the taste of the beer. Uh, but but yes, the <laughs> the structures of that system ended up basically profoundly privileging the big players. For a long, long time. Those big players had the ability to handle the scale and to handle the necessities of dealing with this tripartite system. So this is a case of regulation that brood inefficiency... Brood was what not up? intended what as a up? pun. No, that was not a pun, people. But I knew that Stephen here and also our listener Ben... Yes, Ben, I know you're listening. Yes. Would be hearing the pun. So no <laughs> pun intended. But those really inefficiencies that, y'all. for a long time ended up privileging the dominant party. And this is one of the reasons that people tend to critique regulations, is that they can often have these sort of unintended knock-on effects. And that's not wrong. You can see it in the history of beer in America in the 20th century.
1: And also the history of
0: literally every everything other else. else. Yeah. But a couple of things happened on top of what we mentioned about the economy shift and a bunch of people trying to get into this space. One of the interesting effects of that system was that it meant that if you could establish a hold, well, the people nearby might act, you know, the bottle house nearby or whatever else might pick up your beer. And might sell
1: it to locals. Well, so so there's two things there. One, if you get a wholesaler mm-hmm. and you had the ability to, that wholesaler could then sell your beer to anybody. Anybody. Anywhere. Um, that's the point of the wholesaling system. But there's also, in some places, some rules that allow very small volume Very small volume. To sell directly without a wholesaler to- a shop that will retail Mm -hmm. it for you or to, uh, I think, also to restaurants, which means that there's even... Or in their own taproom, like where we are right now. Like where we are right now, which means that there are regulations, but there are also variations on the regulations that are not necessarily common sense regulations, but are very, very well-targeted regulations that allow for certain types of things to develop
0: and discourage other types of things from developing. Mm-hmm. They don't penalize Anheuser-Busch InBev. In any meaning that there's no penalty to them. They just have to follow the same sets of rules they've always followed. right? And they're doing just fine. Now, their sales are down over the last decade pretty substantially, in part because people discovered that good beers are kind of awesome. Don't worry, they'll just buy up all the craft <laughs> beers they can find. They've they've Peaks, it. I love you. They've been doing precisely that for the last decade, but it, it opens a space in the small end, the bottom end of the market to let the hyper super farm. Yeah, that's right. I see what you did there. See reference to, (laughs) is that (laughs) 4.07? Something like that. We'll put it in the show notes. But it opens up this space for experimentation to happen in the low end of the market, in the small, I say low, but that might sound pejorative. I don't mean it that way. I just mean the very, very small volume, the low volume end of the market. And that combined with the recession that started in 2008 and a bunch of people trying out different things because, well, I've got to make money somehow for an explosion in really interesting beers, many of them great, some of them, frankly, terrible, but... There was this enormous experimentation, and it could happen because this space had been carved out while making for some of these real inefficiencies. And what's striking to us, and we could talk about specific beers, including the delightful ones we're drinking right now at great length, but the bigger interest for us and sort of the turn into our broader thinking about the rejection of technologies this season and the ways that structural incentives and individual action can play together, as we talked about at great length in season five, Indeed, is that when these things are done just right, well-targeted regulations that decrease the efficiency of the market, which is often treated by especially enthusiastic technologists as the best goal... The, the best thing you could do is make the most efficient market possible, have the most efficient means of interacting with your consumers and customers possible. Seamless
1: experiences. Right.
0: The wholesale market is not a seamless experience. No, but this opened up a space for something really remarkable to happen that ran counter to the predominant trends, especially those driven by major technology booms. In the rest of our culture at Mm -hmm. large. And it's Mm -hmm. particularly notable in contrast to things like what Amazon has done. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to recapitulate season three. Don't worry. Yeah. But while Amazon and to a smaller but nonetheless equally real extent, even large retailers like Barnes & Noble were eating the book market completely hollow... The opposite has been happening, and in part enabled by technologies, technologies right. like the internet for marketing and word of mouth and, and all of that. Social the lowering media lowering
1: real cost of yep. technology
0: to actually brew the beer, right? Um, which is no non trivial part. Yeah, <laughs> important. But the net of those things was that some targeted inefficiencies and some targeted not market optimalities, optimalities, optimo- optimalities. He, he's only had like five sips of beer, guys. Not, not even. Those things allowed for something really interesting to happen. And this pushes against one of the prime conceits of our technologist era, which is that computerizing and efficient sizing all the things. And yes, I did just make up the word efficient sizing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't you want us to be at a brewery every time? Every time,
0: time? yes. (laughs) Making everything as efficient as it can be is not actually always the best. Strange thought, I know. Yeah, and it's... It
1: does run counter to our sort of liberal sort of regime in that things that hold you back or slow you down are outside influences that are unwelcome. Mm -hmm. In this particular case, the targeted market regulations intended to slow things down at a mass scale. They wanted to make it hard to have certain ends for consumers and instead of like stopping the consumer from doing things because that was prohibition, (laughs) they decided to stop the market from doing things. And so the ways that those interventions played out and then some of the under the table or slightly over the table (laughs) but the, the low volume additions and subtractions to those regulations allowed for a situation to have very good effects for the market. Right. But the market in a much wider perceived space. Like right. not just like we're making it easy for companies to do business here because right. they're actually making it slightly difficult. harder. Yeah. Slightly harder. Well, in some cases wholesalers <laughs> yeah. like you can a lot it of can part. be very hard. Yeah. It, to get a wholesaler if you're a company trying to break in. Yep. But because it did make the market harder, it also had the effect of allowing certain ways into the market that would not have been available if it right. was just strict, can you produce volume at scale right. and just flood the market and knock everybody out. right? Now, there's an interesting counter history to think about, like, okay, well, what if we didn't have this three-tier system and what if we just had gotten tired of tide houses or what if we had never abolished tight houses in the first place. Like, would we have had craft beer in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s? Like, it's it's worthwhile to consider Mm -hmm. that. It's Uh, possible. It's worthwhile to consider that maybe regulation
0: stopped us from getting to where we are. Right. And I I would actually argue that that's probably true because it was very specifically the advent of this targeting of and making a distinction between the size of the thing doing the production that enabled this. So it's almost certainly true that the regulation as it was initially formulated had a restricting effect on the kinds of things that succeeded in the market. So the argument here isn't all regulation is great. It's it is possible with really carefully considered well targeted with a sort of slow victory in mind if you Mm -hmm. might that can have these sorts of effects.
1: And I know that beer fans everywhere are being like, you guys are like all over the map on this thing. You're like celebrating like the rules that caused consolidation, and then you're celebrating <laughs> those same rules that uncaused consolidation. I think you're just like jumping over the fact that they were the same regulations the whole time. And you're right. Like, that's definitely true. The same regulations mostly were in place the entire time. And what that means is one, technology actually does matter like Mm -hmm. part of the way that this happened was because of technology that caused the economic downturn thanks guys and then (laughs) technology that allowed way more brewers to jump into the market around 2008 so it's not only regulation that makes things work and that's important to note because we're not just here to be like let's regulate all the things guys like it is really and truly a confluence of the ways that we think about technology, the ways that we implement rules and regulations about that technology, and mm-hmm. then the ways that people, as consumers, respond to both of those situations. Right. So, this is to say that heyo, context matters. <laughs> um, never but, going to stop saying it. Never going to stop saying it. But it also is it. You can't just isolate the technology. Right. And say that it did this, and you also can't just isolate the regulation and say right. they did this, which is important because we've been talking specifically about rejecting technology, and in many ways we should. there are mm-hmm. things that are specifically bad that we should reject, but in the other hand, the whole architecture, the whole structure around technology
0: right it makes is an enormous difference
1: important.
0: yeah, and one of the things that I think is helpful for then applying this is it is very much in vogue to think about what kinds of things might be appropriate for regulating some of the tech behemoths, whether their most valuable company in the world, Apple, or has all the world's information, Google, or has all the world's people. And by all here, I mean a quarter, but that's still, holy cow, a lot, Facebook, or doesn't understand itself or its users, Twitter, or is really pretty. Apple. Pinterest. Pinterest. <laughs> I love Pinterest. Pinterest y'all. is great. I've never had a
1: chance to say that on this show, but I do love Pinterest. <laughs> it's so if, genuinely anybody's, great. if anybody's out there on Pinterest, like you can find me on Pinterest. That's the thing. It's I just true. don't say that at the end of every episode,
0: <laughs> but it's but, true. <laughs> but there's a really important question to ask here, which is, okay, let's assume for a moment that we think, as we've said in the past, that one of the major problems of Facebook, for example, is it sheer scale? And the idea that scale can ultimately be dehumanizing is one I subscribe to. I think that one of the problems some of these tech giants have is that they're at dehumanizing scales. When they're dealing with 2 billion people, it is indeed very difficult to come up with one policy for speech that uh, appropriately applies to 2 billion people in most of the world's countries. You're just not going to get there.
1: And even if half a percent of people are bad apples, are intentionally bad actors, which, you know, that's... You know, half of every 100 persons is a bad actor. That seems like a fairly low estimate. That scale is absolutely enormous.
0: Right. You're talking 10 million people at that point.
1: That is insane. And that's, like, not even the number of people are dealing with. They're dealing
0: with much larger problems. And so when we start to consider how we could respond, one of the obvious answers is, well, just antitrust there are problems with antitrust because, well, consumers like them. We'll link you to any number of Ben Thompson's Stratechery articles, which accurately point out that traditional antitrust is entirely about companies that abuse their users. And while we could have an interesting argument about whether Facebook is doing something abusive to its users, at the end of the day, people are using it because they Get get value out of it. And they're getting better value out of it than the alternatives available yep. to them. And so regulation in the traditional sense is not applicable in many of these right. ways. And then we
1: can start talking about vertical monopolies versus mm-hmm. horizontal monopolies. There's a lot That there, doesn't even really relate to Facebook because right. they're sort of like an a-contextual monopoly because people have just chosen to make them what
0: right. they are. And so the interesting turn here to me is what it would look like not only in the sort of general, maybe we should not as a community use this advice that we've offered before and not even in the, perhaps we should think in a general sense about regulatory frameworks for these things, which I think is true. But the very specific lesson that specific technologies require of us these very specific and very tailored responses that at a specific moment, a particular set of regulations can really help the flourishing of good things over and against the behemoths who are pumping out mediocrity and not goodness. That might just be applicable... To the Facebooks of the world. It might just be applicable to the right. Googles of the world as we think about how to respond. There's and that's, there's a temptation to hopelessness there, that this is just too big to regulate. Indeed, And there's a temptation to say, well, just smash them to pieces. That'll solve right. the problem. And that likely won't because the structural incentives that led to the f- success of something like Facebook in the first place continue to exist... But well, are, targeted regulation can change <laughs> exactly. those structural incentives. So for instance, a perfect example t- and
1: way to think about this is Google. So people can say that Google is too large to really be regulated and that the thing that they do is so basic right. as to be unregulatable. Because all they really do is in many ways organize information. Like they basically and then, sir, against it. They they basically are the world's largest Excel sheet, if you want to think about <laughs> it that way.
0: <laughs> like really? <laughs> I've never heard that analogy made before. There are ways it's horribly wrong, but there are ways in which it's not horribly wrong. Yeah. So I'll give yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. So
1: the especially if you have control F functionality. <laughs> um, but uh, the point is that
0: you would think that Google Sheets would be better if that were really true. Just uh, saying. Well, geez. <laughs> I retract everything I've ever said.
1: <laughs> That's the worst. Oy. But the point here, I'm the, Google is not unregulatable because people don't have the imagination to think, what is the goal of Google? Well, they're serving ads against search algorithms. Okay. Why do they do that? Well, because ads make a lot of money. Well, what if... You start making it not as, like, printing money (laughs) to run ads. What if you have regulations about the types of ads you can run? What if you have regulations about the cost of ads? And this is not insane because there are regulations about the costs of various things in other industries. It's just we don't think about them that way. Like, the cost of gas is a highly regulated set of variables. Right. And we don't think about that because nobody is wondering, like what government agency has been a part of deciding what gas price I have right now? <laughs> that's not really a thing that they do, but that's part of what the government did because of a complex set of historical variables where the gas right. prices were getting out of control. And so you, anyone who's a gas wonk is probably like, hey, it's not that simple. And like, yeah, it's definitely
0: not. <laughs> it's definitely not. No, but and nor the, do we think there are simple regulatory solutions because, let's be honest, if there were simple regulatory solutions, we'd have done them by now.
1: right? But the point is that, I think, and I think Chris shares this opinion, is that we have been too afraid as a uh, business and economy focused country Mm -hmm. to make regulations that tailor almost specifically to one specific company. Now, all future companies that may come in that vein are also included in there, Mm -hmm. and we are regulating those before the fact, which is often not... Totally considered when we talk about regulations. <laughs> we're not just regulating Google. We're right. regulating all future Googles. Right. We're also regulating Alta Vista,
0: should it still exist. <laughs> um, and DuckDuckGo. Shout out to DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo. Duck, Duck, Shout out. Um, I use DuckDuckGo every day. Bang. And frankly, I could never go back to Google because DuckDuckGo is actually genuinely better in a lot of ways yeah their algorithms do actually turn out different things and
1: sometimes more productive things yep when i can't find what i use on when i when i can't find what i need on google because yes i still use google and we can talk about that <sighs> another day i know chris is chris just lost some respect for me it's fine no I, um, it's it's fine <laughs> do you hear that resignation in his voice <laughs> do you hear that that was like i like that guy but no <laughs> Uh, this podcast is over this podcast is over You heard it live, guys <laughs> uh, the, the point is that we've been afraid to really sit down and say Okay, let's think about search I know that search kind of means Google But let's think about search Let's think about the right. ways that we can make it so that this thing is viable mm-hmm. You can even regulate it If you say, like, you can be a search engine But you can't do X, Y, and Z with the information you get from search Right Obviously Google would hate this, but you would severely change the market. And right. I do say severely because
0: yep. it's an inappropriate word.
1: That would be a humongous shift. I don't think that's one that America's gonna go for, but I don't think it's unreasonable that at some point the EU is gonna get totally fed up with Google <laughs> and just say like, look, you're a search engine, the end. <laughs> You can serve ads on search, but you can't do any of this other docs stuff.
0: The world will heave a great sigh of relief. Well,
1: somebody will come along and make an equally terrible Docs. that I'll still have to use. But um, but the the point that I'm I'm pushing at here is that, A, yes, you can make tailored types of regulation, Mm -hmm. specifically tailored types of regulation, and to be afraid to go after a market giant because they have market capture is dumb. Not, it, it, it is literally the point of regulation. right? Like you need to do that when there is a situation. Right. So where Americans have gotten it backwards is that instead of saying, because Google is huge and is taking over everything we need to regulate them, we have kind of said Google ha- is doing great as a company and therefore, we don't need to regulate
0: them, even though they have bad effects. Like, they're doing really great for the economy. Right. And the thing that ends up falling out of that is the importance of saying, what kind of frame might help us address these pernicious knock-on effects? Indeed. Because there are a lot of good things that Google and Apple and Facebook and, well, maybe not Facebook, Google and Apple and some of the others I are mean, doing. Facebook
1: Messenger is the way I keep in touch with my family. And yeah, that's a there, are, there
0: are some good things there. That was, that was me being sarcastic. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call you out, bro. <laughs> this podcast is over. <laughs> We're going to need the beer for the breakup, apparently. But the question of how to structure this kind of regulation is obviously very hard. And overly aggressive regulation can be very bad and can just, as we said at the beginning, further empower the mediocre or bad actors at Mm -hmm. the top of the heap already and a lot of times it's overly retroactive if you look for example at DMCA and a bunch of the other stuff that came out of Congress in the late 90s it was dumb and it didn't actually solve the problems it was trying to solve, it just made everyone's experience on the internet a lot more annoying and it's very possible to write that kind of regulation. It's also very possible to write regulation that has the intent of doing something like we're talking about here, but without sufficiently saying, and what then? And what then? What would happen if we did this? What would happen if we did that? What are what are ways this can fall out? And you can't right. prognosticate all of that perfectly. But so often we make these regulations with a sort of... What is the problem right now? How do we solve that? Rather than, how do we help create the right kind of space to bring us back around to where we were at the beginning? Indeed, Part of the reason this ended up working is because the right space existed for good microbreweries to flourish. And it was a matter not of shutting down Anheuser-Busch or doing anything to Anheuser-Busch, but just carving out a little space in the right spot so that something... Different could flourish. And the net of that has been that the major breweries have lost something like 17% it's of their sales, 14. 14% over the last decade or so. That's a non trivial change in the market, but no one did anything to them. And there was just a space for real competition, which is the one thing that American right. market conservatives all want. Right. We carved out a space via the use of careful regulation for that right. to happen. And in the context of stuff like Google and Facebook and all of these, that's what we should be aiming for, is the kind of regulation that acknowledges the way the technologies work. Dear all Congress people, please read Stratechery because for reals. I mean, and Warner then of California is clearly
1: attempting. <laughs> He's trying right. hard. right and he did put out a paper with 20 suggestions some of which he knows are like not feasible or maybe right. even not effective but like he's trying
0: right so like but those kinds of you. things that actually take a, a close look at how these technologies differ from those which came before and how that affects the social and market milieu in which we find ourselves right. and respond accordingly and appropriately right and so the goal here
1: to draw on an art concept is, as we mentioned in the previous episode, to think about iRobot and the three laws of robotics. Mm-hmm. The three laws of robotics are essentially regulations. Yep. On robots. Here are how you can and cannot do things. Here are the rules and parameters in which you can operate. And as Chris so rightfully noted in the previous episode, <laughs> Asimov's whole shtick with this was to show how sweeping regulations... ...are a bad idea. They don't do the things that you want them to do often. Right. Now, the fun part about those stories is that he doesn't (laughs) just turn them all into, like, look how terrible regulation is, guys. There are actually some good things that happen from those Mm -hmm. ridiculous regulations. Uh, There are some ways that the opening of and closing of different spaces allow different types of things to happen. And that's generally what we're getting at here, is that, yes... There are some ways that regulation can be bad. There are some ways that regulation can be good. And even the regulations that we're talking about were originally intended to cut down on Tide Houses. Eventually, years and years and years later, decades right. later, allowed, with a lot of other things involved, technology changes and all that,
0: a micro boom. Right. So, And you know what? We're really glad that Tide Houses and their prostitution and everything else don't exist anymore. It's good. Yeah. And
1: also... <laughs> It did what it wanted to do. Right. And it also had these knock on positive effects. Right. Partially because of the opening of spaces that, that drew on this inefficiency that was right. built into the market. And so anyone who tries to introduce inefficiency into the market today, as Chris mentioned earlier, is, is, a deri- bad person. is derided as not being the best user experience possible. Right. And honestly, breaking up tied houses for some users, I'm sure they thought that was a poor user experience. <laughs> yes. So there is some guiding hand involved in all of this. But I think, and i t- drawing on what Chris is saying here, is that the best way that we can do regulation is specific, mm-hmm. but is intended to open spaces. Right. It's not just to shut things down. Right. Even though regulate literally means... That sort of concept, (laughs) but it's to allow other things to exist. Right. That's the best type of regulation. So imagine, if you will, a Google that can only run search and search ads. Honestly, that company is probably still profitable. Right. (laughs) There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of money there. There's a lot of searching going on. But if you had to spin out, Docs into a separate company or even the whole suite
0: into. I'll tell you a secret Docs would be a way better product.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> because there would be a whole different set of market considerations yep. that it would have to handle. Yep. You know, it would have to compete with Dropbox Paper, it would have to compete with Word, it would have to compete with free, like, alternative systems that pop up every now and then and then disappear it would have a different set of market considerations it wouldn't be shielded right. by this other giant market which is the same thing with amazon mm-hmm. what if amazon web service had to only be web service what if it was not allowed to also have a bookseller and in 100 <laughs> years people would be like why in the world would you have a rule that says like cloud <laughs> servers can also not sell books that's stupid that's weird well, it was very targeted, friend. <laughs> right. Uh, and so that sort of concept is, is the way that we can imagine new futures. We can imagine new spaces. Because you can imagine right. a whole new market if Dropbox Paper had to get better because Google Docs just got better because they were arguing against these other companies yeah. that their product was better. And so... That's a new space that's been opened up.
0: Right. And I'll slightly abuse my Chesterton's fence argument from a few episodes back and note that one of the things that fences do is not merely protect against the outside thing, but they also make the inside space a different kind of space than it is Mm -hmm. without the fence. Yeah. And the two effects there of protecting against certain kinds of dangerous incursions and giving a specific shape to an area can actually be really, really good things. And I think it's fair to say that there are different fences that progressives and conservatives are tempted to tear down. But there's a very real tearing kind of down. Of, up. Right. But there's a very real temptation on both sides to tear down really important fences. And sometimes on the conservative side, which is more where I find myself, the temptation is toward a sort of libertarian tearing down of fences around any kind of regulation of companies because markets are good and governments are dumb and we could, you know, talk about those frames all day long. But much of the critique I offered around approaches to the fence in our episode earlier this season apply here as well there is a danger in just chucking out a regulation or chucking out all regulations without understanding the kinds of good spaces they can create right and then from the more liberal side
1: of regulation which is where i tend to fall is this idea that if we just regulated enough then like Everything would move smoothly, nobody would abuse the system, and we'd have a much nicer economy for that's people. That's not how it works. It, it's, and it's not. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it, You run too far in this direction. Right. But the point that, the good thing that's preserved there is that there are ways that you can do better for people right. with targeted regulations. But if you just start over-regulating everything, then you're going to only land... In the favor of monopolies. Yep, and so Not good. It's it's a complicated dance. Uh, this is one of few issues where Chris and I are fairly far apart on our approach to regulation in a de facto sense. But when we're coming together to talk about it in ways that specifically relate to individual sorts of enterprises, individual types of Mm -hmm. businesses, or even as we've been mentioning individual businesses themselves, we can find middle ground where we both agree on certain problems and how regulation could fix those. Now we probably have different ideas of what those regulations should and could look
0: like. Right. But there's a starting point there. That's really helpful
1: for both sides of the aisle.
0: You know what else? Stephen Carradini? What? Two things. One beer is good. Beers good too. Recording podcasts in person is fun. It's a lot easier <laughs> and there's no internet lag and no weird Skype or Zoom or other stuff just dropping things. What? His face is frozen. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I I'm really I'm really glad to be here in person recording
0: with you. Do you know what the song for the beginning of the episode is?
1: It is by Jameson Isaac. Sweet. This Again? Is the first time? because i'm a fanboy, <laughs> i am i am it's the first time in winning slowly's history other than midnight suns because that just means i forgot to get a song for the episode
0: <laughs> so now you know our secret people your
1: secret it is the first time that we've ever used the same band twice but i like jameson isaac true. so much
0: twice in one season twice in one season we did interview the gray havens and then, and used, then one used one of their the, songs yes, also did. their album is about to come out so yes so he's you right should, you should go check out James and Isaac but also the Great Havens because their the album Havers. is about to come out and it's awesome that's true
1: so this is the second <laughs> band although it's the first time that we've used it without the context it's of true. actually interviewing,
0: interviewing someone yep so it's the
1: first time we've done that because Jameson Isaac great it's called Us we use it with permission please don't use it without permission this has been the longest
0: copyright <laughs> notice of all time so we are talking he has finished his beer at this point people I've gone through about a third of mine If you want to support the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash winning slowly, or you can do so at cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. Thanks to Kurt Klassen for sponsoring the show for so many months running now. So many months. And want to say thank you to the many folks who are... Continuing to send us interesting emails and other notes. That's right. You can email us at hello at dot org. tweet at us at winning slowly in principle. You can post on Facebook because Steven's teaching a social media class. So he'll see that I do. I won't because I get on it. Facebook once a week at most.
1: Yeah, it's it's slowest. I mean, email is pretty slow, too. Twitter is actually our best for both it's of true. us. It's true.
0: And we'll probably be tweeting more over the months and years ahead. We have reasons for that, which you will know about in the future. You will know. But...
1: Also, thank you to Pikes Peak Brewing Co., who have let yes. us do this without disturbing us. Yes. which They've just are, waved and smiled at us I as know. they keep walking by. They're Maybe awesome. other people podcast from it you. It could
0: be. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome.
1: Thanks to Pikes Peak. Thanks to, uh... Falcon Trail 2.0. Yep. And uh, Gold Rush.
0: And good beers. Good beers. And as always, thank you for listening. you for
1: listening.